Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my special return guest is Deborah Corey. Deborah, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for uh, letting me be a repeat performer here. Absolutely. We got a, an exciting new book to chat about. So, Deborah is back on the show to share insights and highlights from her new book on how to avoid being a bad boss, which really can ruin lives and instead learn how to be a great boss that enriches the lives of our staff, of our partners, of everybody that comes in contact with us really as a small business owner. But how can we be a great boss to enrich the lives of our staff? To get more information about the How of Business, including the show notes page for this episode, and to learn more about my one-on-one and group coaching programs, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. I also encourage you, wherever you might be listening to this episode, to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. So Deborah Corey is a highly experienced and award-winning HR consultant, a world-class speaker, and six-time best-selling author who has been named as one of the top 101 global employee engagement influencers. After over 20 years working for for global companies, she now pays it forward by inspiring and helping others develop and deliver people and culture strategies and initiatives in a rebellious way, as she says, pushing the boundaries and challenging the status quo to truly drive employee engagement and business performance. And one of the things that we chatted about or we focused on on our last time we had her on the show, which was episode 453, episode 453 was all about employee recognition, which she is also expert in and has written a book. So if you want to learn about Deborah's very interesting entrepreneurial journey and are looking for some great tips and insights on how to recognize the performance of employees, which is so critical to being a good boss, but also to keeping those employees that are harder and harder to recruit. How do you recognize them? That episode is for you. Uh, Deborah lives typically in the London, England area. And so once again, Deborah Corey, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Where are you today? I think you said you're not at home today. Where are you? I'm not. I'm down by the seaside. I'm still in the UK. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, they call it the English Riviera. It looks, it looks, it looks nothing like the French Riviera whatsoever. Right. I think there's a couple of palm trees, but that's about <laughs> it. But it, it it is lovely. A nice little change. Blue skies today or what's the weather like? It was lovely. I actually took a two-hour walk in the middle of the day. Nice. I, I, I made sure that I had a, I did all my work in the morning, took a break, and now I'm back again working. So nice balance today. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Let's get into it. The book isn't is titled Bad Bosses Ruin Lives the building blocks for being a great boss by Deborah Corey and your husband, Ken, correct? I did. This is the first time I've written a book with him, but um, we, we used to do dog walks and I would be talking about this book and he is an engineering leader an engineering manager. And I just thought it would be just such an interesting perspective sharing his at the same time as, as mine. And I'm really glad I partnered with him. We had some really good discussions and I think the book is much better having both of our perspectives. Mm-hmm. Have you had a co-author before? Or is this the first time you've co-authored a book? This is my second one. So my second, but the second one was with my boss. So mm. it's very different writing with your boss as opposed to writing with your partner. 
Yes, but we're still married, so that's good. Yeah, it was good. That's the ultimate yeah. test, right? <laughs> exactly. That's, that's exactly. It's similar to being in business with a spouse, which which I have yes. done and do. All right. So the question I always ask first is, why did you write the book, and who is it for? So as you mentioned at the beginning, this is my sixth book, and my whole idea behind any book that I write is. First of all, do I see a problem? Do I see something that a lot of people out there are struggling with and, and have challenges with? And there's absolutely a problem. We did a survey and 99.6%, 99.6% of people said they've had a bad boss. Hmm. So there definitely is a problem. But then also I want to make sure that I have a solution. And I've been working on this solution for, for years now. And it's a model that I call the uh, the great boss building block model. So I feel like I've learned by doing it well, doing it wrong, um, a tool that can help people. And that's what I'm all about is trying to give people, you know, tools and new tools and new ways to overcome problems. And so I, ideally, who do you, who did you see as the audience for this? Do you know, it's interesting. I, I was talking to someone the other day and they said, is it just for bad bosses? And I said, well, to be honest with you, we're all bad bosses. None of us are perfect. So actually, if I had to categorize, I'd say it's for a good boss, someone who is, you know, they're, they're doing a good job, but they they know they need to do it better. They want to do it better. That's who I'm really trying to to focus in on those people who really want to learn and people who want to think you said at the beginning, instead of ruin lives, they want to enrich lives. You know, I'm not going for the 1% of people who don't really care that they're ruining lives because right. to be honest, they'll never pick the book up. Oh no, they, they won't. And if they, even if they were to be forced to read it, they, they won't take it in. So yeah the, yeah, the, yeah, the reason I was so interested in as a small business owner, whether you're planning to start your first business and maybe you've been a boss to some degree in the corporate world, but now as a business owner, you're going to be the boss. So it's critical that we learn how to do it well. The other challenge is that for business owners, we are by nature type A controlling personalities. And that's one of the attributes that can lead to being a bad boss if we don't manage that. And so and I think it, it applies so much to people who want to do it well. Absolutely. And I think the other thing is, as you all know, as you know, as a business owner, people follow your lead. And I think one of the main reasons why we have almost 100% of people who have had a bad boss is that we, we all have role models. So the more that you can get it right, again, I don't expect anyone to be perfect, but the more you get it right, you're setting up all your other bosses to do it well. You know, when you can't be around, you make sure that everyone is, is following and using the tools appropriately. Yeah. You opened the book with your bad boss story. So I was hoping maybe you could give us a summarized version of that. Sure. And, and interestingly enough, this story was something I shared with my co-author in my second book. You asked me, you know, if mm -hmm. I've written with someone before and we we're writing the chapter on leadership and management. And I told him the story of how I had a boss and how my boss had ruined my life. And he's like, what, what do you mean your boss ruined your life? And I said that my boss made my life so difficult, so challenging that I couldn't leave the office and just, you know, wash it off. It was something that came home with me each and every night, so much so that when I came home, and I don't know if anyone's been in this situation, hopefully not, I had to walk around the block a few times. I had to sort of decompress. I had to just put on a new persona so that my young children didn't have to see it. And it wasn't until my daughter, who was about eight at the time, chased after me one day and was like, mom, what's, what's wrong? Why are you so upset that I realized, you know what? 
it's not just impacting my life, it's impacting theirs. And I went in the next day and talked to my boss and said, you know what, this isn't working. It, it, it just wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. So that was my initial bad boss story. That, and that's where the title of the book came from. Yeah. So in your experience, I have some ideas on this, but what, why, why do so many people end up being such horribly bad bosses? What, what do you think are some of the things that lead that to happen? I mean, I guess fundamentally it's because we're all humans and we manage humans. So, you know, we're, we're never going to get things right. And that's really what I want the book to, to really break down some barriers and just say, do you know what? We're never going to get it right. Um, each person, I mean, I'm sure each of you are like this. Not every person that's on your team is the same. So for one person, a great boss may look one way, but for another person, that might be a bad boss. So I think that human aspect absolutely impacts it. And also, I think for a lot of us, we we don't see it in ourselves. It was, you know, really cathartic writing this book. Cathartic and a bit sad because each of the 10 types of bad bosses, I had a story for every one of when I had done this myself. And actually, I encourage people to do that. Think back, you know, did I do this? What was the impact? What can I do differently? Because it is going to happen and it will continue to happen. This point of we don't see it, I think, is critical here because I think that is part of what happens to us as business owners. We understandably go into, for us, most of us are small business owners, limited resources. At the start, we have to do it all. We have to be assertive. We got to make lots of decisions. We just have to charge forward. It's the reason we become business owners and everybody else doesn't do it is we're willing to take on that responsibility, accountability, the hard work, but we we can lose ourselves there and not see that then it takes a, a different approach to become a boss. We we cannot put those same pressures on our staff members because they have different motivations, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have different motivations. And also, I think that, you know, when you're starting out your own business, you've got a lot of things in your head. So you know why you're doing things. You That's know right. why all of a sudden something is, you know, more important than something else. And, you know, I was a bad boss just the other day with my with my husband when we were doing some blogs because I hadn't shared with him my strategy. I was in such a rush that I hadn't shared with him my strategy. And he spent a whole day writing a blog, which was completely misaligned with my strategy. And that's a perfect example of one of the bad bosses, which is a hoarder. So, you know, it's just because I was so into my own head that I didn't think of him. The other thing that comes to mind, uh, I spent most of my corporate career in sales. And what happens in sales is people get promoted to manager, to a boss mm -hmm. position, because they were good at individual sales, right? So the top sales guy or gal got the opportunity to be the sales manager next. But that does not a good boss always make, right? So sometimes, certainly in the corporate world, doesn't happen as much in small business, but in the corporate world, certainly people become bosses and they simply don't have the skills to do it well. Absolutely. And one of the things that I talk about in the book are some of the myths and misconceptions. And that's one of them is that just because you're a great individual contributor, it means you're going to be a great boss. So I think that sometimes we put people in jobs um, as a boss because, you know, it's the only way to make more money. And we shouldn't do that. We should make sure that we, you know, we create career paths so that if someone does not have the skills to be a, a great boss, we don't throw them into it. Or sometimes, and it happened to me in one of my stories about being a bad boss that I have in the book, 
it's because I was thrown in to be a boss without any training. They're like, okay, I'm going to move you from San Francisco to London <laughs> and without any training. And we're going to expect you to be able to lead a bunch of Brits who culturally are very mm, different than you. Right. And needless to say, I made quite a few mistakes there. <laughs> can imagine. All right. You mentioned the hoarder. There's a whole list that you cover in detail in the book of the different types of bad bosses. And I'm sure bad bosses can have multiple of those, you know, bad uh, behaviors. But what's another couple of examples, particularly I'm thinking, Deborah, ones that might more specifically apply to small business environments. What's another one or two types of bad bosses? Yeah. What I'll do is I'll share with you. We did the survey I mentioned. I'll share with you the most common ones. Perfect. So, so the one that came out ahead of all the others was an unappreciator, which you mentioned that my last book was on recognition and appreciation. So I was a bit disappointed about that. So 81% of people said that they have or had a boss who's an unappreciator. And it's just basically someone who does not show them recognition, does not make them feel valued, does not make them feel appreciated. And I think why that one upsets me so much is it doesn't have to cost any money. You know, sometimes we think that, you know, people don't do it because it costs a lot of money. You know, let's be real. It takes a minute to say thank you to someone in a genuine and meaningful way. So to me, that that's one where I just want to jump up and down and say, okay, just do it. And especially as a small business owner, you know, you're going to need to rally the troops. Things are going to be tough. Things are going to be challenging. If you just pause, even a simple every Friday, you you go around and you you show appreciation to people. It will make such a huge difference. Don't have to throw money at it. This is a big one. So let me let me jump in here because uh, I have several clients that come to mind, and I understand it. Uh, I, I get it. There are some people who I, I'll use the term. They're not great cheerleaders. In other words, they're not. They don't think about this. They didn't need it, or they don't think they needed it. Right? <laughs> Probably because yeah. most of us are damaged by the time we get here, and we just never got that okay. praise, you know, from whomever. But we just don't think it's important. We don't need it, so we don't think anybody else needs it. We don't need that acknowledgement, so we don't. We can't understand how that's part of my role in leading my business, and that people want and need it from me as the leader. Yeah, it's interesting because you know I try to focus on the feeling of appreciation, but for people who say that to me and they say I don't need it and no one else does, I focus more on the business side of it because appreciation has a business role. If you do not show appreciation to your people, you're not giving them that positive feedback, which means they're not going to be as productive. They're not going to know that, you know what, this is something that you value. This is something that you want them to do over and over again. So if, if, you, if you don't get it from a feeling perspective, and that's absolutely fine, not everybody has that need for that feeling, see it as a business tool and see it as if I give appreciation, it's going to make my person perform better. Um, and if that doesn't work, the number one reason why people leave a company is lack of appreciation. So yeah. use it as a retention tool as well. Yeah, well said, well said. Okay, so the unappreciative uh, boss, what is it, the other top one? Yeah, the, the next two came in at a tie. So 80% of people said this one shouldn't be a surprise, a micromanager. And then the other one was an avoider. But a micromanager, you sort of mentioned at the beginning, I'm not surprised in a small business if that happens. I was a micromanager. All of a sudden, you know, I was really good at my job. I had a team. I did not know how to delegate. I did not know how to give people autonomy. Um, and I didn't necessarily understand why it was important to do that. So right. 
wasn't surprised about micromanager. Avoider, that's someone who um, doesn't give people time or they doesn't they don't give people feedback. Um, the, we have emojis for each of them. So mm -hmm. we had somebody design emojis. They're not scary because we don't want people to be embarrassed. Um, but the avoider one is a ghost. So picture it as the ghost. You're so busy running around trying to start your business that your people can't find you um, and they need you. So that's one I'm not surprised that a lot of people said yes to that one as well. Yeah, that's an interesting one because, because it's very intricate, I think, uh, if, I, if I'm understanding it correctly, Deborah, because it can be, I can see where I can be confused with, well, wait, but you told me to empower people and let them do their job. So I'm just staying out of their way, right? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the other side of it, and I've been guilty of this, is uh, I'll give you an example. I owned a business where, where my office was when people came in, they walked by my office and I usually had the door open. I was usually intently working on something on my computer and my resting face is, you know, that derogatory term. It's not, it's a frown is my resting face. Yeah. <laughs> so, so people, the the talk started to be, why is Henry always so angry? He seems so un unapproachable. And it was just a subtle thing. So what I learned is, first of all, I had to go seek interaction. Even it was just, you know, the cooler, water cooler talk. And also every time I heard the back door open, I would put a smile on my face to communicate that I am approachable, that I, I am interested in talking to you. But I think that this avoider one is is tough uh, in my experience. Yeah, it's interesting your story. I have a similar story where I um, I was just so focused on getting work done that I wouldn't walk around and, and mm -hmm. talk to people. And it wasn't until I decided to leave and I was working my two weeks notice mm. that I started actually interacting with people. And they were very candid with me. They're like, we didn't know you were so nice. Actually, right. you're a really nice person. You're, and that was similar to you. That was my aha moment. And I, even when I was busy, I thought, do you know what? It is so important for me to do that because, you know, again, from a business perspective, if I don't have these relationships with my people, next time we need to, you know, all work together, I'm not going to have them on my side. So it's really being able to see what happens if you don't act in this way. And that's why for each of the bad bosses, we we talk about the traps that we fall into subconsciously that, that make us act in this way, but then also the consequences. Because I think a lot of times, if you don't see the consequences, you don't realize why you actually need to change. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And we'll talk some more about that as, you know, some of the other benefits. But I want to take a step back to how it can ruin people's lives. You gave the example of how you were bringing it home. Even your child noticed it. But what are some of the other ways that you've seen that it can ruin the lives or certainly negatively impact the lives of your of your team members, of your staff? Yeah, I, um, when I was writing the book, I, I asked people for their stories on, you know, how a boss had impacted their lives. And it was it was really sad to hear, you know, my story, it, it definitely had a, a toll on my well-being. And I thought, you know, maybe that's just me. But it was amazing how many people it impacted their well-being. I came up with the term, you know, something about how, you know, it's more of a long-term impact on you. So, you know, you for like three months, six months, a year, I've heard people say how they still couldn't get out of how they felt, how this boss had made them feel. Um, and you bring baggage to your next job. Yeah. You know, after I had this boss, you know, I went to my next job. I had the most amazing boss in the world. But because of the baggage, 
it would slow me down because I'd have to keep, you know, going to her and making sure I had her approval and making sure that I was, you know, doing things in a way because my last boss would give me such a hard time about it. So it definitely impacts people's well-being and also their performance. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. That's been my experience. So if we now, if we flip it back to the benefits from a small business owner perspective, you've touched on some of them already. And, and again, employee recognition and retention, that leading to retention, but being a good boss, especially in a small business where it's so much more impact, we know in the corporate world, we can have a big, a bad boss over here in one division or department and a great boss in another. And, and so overall, the culture could still be okay or good. Right. Uh, but in a small business, you can't get away with that, right? A bad boss can influence the entire organization. And so it's good, especially if the boss is me as the owner, I have ultimate impact on the rest of the team and the productivity. So that retention issue, and especially nowadays when we work so hard to recruit and, and attract and hire that employee, now we want to make sure they stay with us, right? And, they, and that they're productive. But I think also the, the word that I wrote down as you were talking earlier is culture. It's it's such a fickle thing, but being a great boss is key to nurturing a positive culture, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm in HR and I'm always like culture champion and trying to put in place programs to drive a culture. But at the end of the day, whatever I do, it is impacted so much by the boss because I can say one thing. And then if a boss does something different, you know, I could say we're open, we're honest, we're transparent. And then if a culture is, you know, if a boss is an avoider or a hoarder, which is someone who doesn't share, absolutely, it's driving the culture. And that one person can impact the rest of the organization. And then what it ends up creating, and this is a thing that, um, and I get it, when you're when you're in it, sometimes you can't see it. But if it is a negative environment that you are creating because you're a bad boss, then it's a it's just an ugly place to be all around. And if we've gone through the effort and the risk and the investment and to build a business and it's a place that's not fun to be at, what the heck are we doing? Yeah. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that it always has to be fun. No, there but, are times but, where yeah. it is stressful, right? Yeah. 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 And also, I think, you know, I said before about I don't expect people to to be perfect. So, you know, one of the stories I share in the book is that when I was a boss for the first time and I got a really big job, I had a really hard time managing the stress of it all. I did. I My, my alter ego, I called her Debbie. Debbie mm -hmm. would come out. And um, I just I just went to my team and I was very honest. And I said, guys, you need to be patient with me. You know, I'm going to figure it out, I promise. But until I do, you do not want to be around Debbie. So the joke was, <laughs> this is back when I had my own office. We had a sign that we wrote, Debbie is in, enter at your own risk. <laughs> so, and I, I share that story because, you know, if while you're still learning how to deal with things as a business owner, you're not perfect, just let your people know, be honest with them, share it with them, apologize when you get it wrong. You know, things like that go a long way. Absolutely. It, dis it disarms the tension to an extent and it, and it makes you vulnerable, which is a good thing uh, in many ways. Yeah. And if you have the trust, there's something called a trust bank. Um, and if you've got the trust of your people and things go wrong, they've got money in the bank. Mm -hmm. They'll forgive you if if things aren't perfect all the time. But you have to make sure that you've got those those core elements and those core component, components in place first. 
This is Henry Lopez briefly pausing this episode to invite you to join me for one of my next live online workshops. During these interactive workshops, I cover a specific topic that will help you with starting and growing your small business. Just visit thehowofbusiness.com to learn more and to register. If you need help creating an effective business plan, for example, to start your first small business, then my next business plan workshop may be just what you need. Or perhaps you need help completing your financial projections for your new business. Well, I have a workshop for that too. And if you're already operating your business, then you can probably benefit from learning how to better manage the cash in your business by attending my cash flow management online workshop. These are just a few of the workshops that I currently offer, and I keep these workshops to a small number of participants so that we have the time to answer all of your questions. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing and exiting your existing small business, I can help you get there with one of my online workshops. To find out more and to register for a live online workshop, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Take that next step today towards finally realizing your business ownership dreams. I look forward to having you join me for my next workshop. All right. So you mentioned it, but now I'd like you to just introduce, because obviously there's a lot of detail here that's covered in the book on this, but introduce this concept of the great boss building blocks. So the the whole idea of the, the building blocks is what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring together all the tools that we have as, as bosses. And the good news is, is that we've got lots of tools. There's 14 of them, which is a lot. (laughs) But the thing is, you don't have to bring them all out at the same time. They all work in different situations with different people. And we've broken them out into two types of blocks. You've got what we call the foundation blocks, or I affectionately call the six pack because they, uh, there's six of them and they hold up the rest. Mm. Those are things like respect and trust and authenticity, vulnerability, empathy, and compassion. And those are more your attitudes and your beliefs and your behaviors. And then there's more of the, the tangible tools, things like appreciation. It's a tool you can give, feedback, listening, communication, empowerment, and inspiration, development and coaching. And again, they all work in different times. You know, if you're a a micromanager and you're having problems with that, you might need to take a step back and think about, you know what, I need to to really learn how to use the empowerment tool. That's about giving people autonomy. I need to get better at empowerment and maybe I need to get better at communication. And you pick one or two at a time. And that's really what it's, you know, the idea of them being blocks is you pull them out and you build something that's going to work in that situation. Yeah, and so uh, the way that I saw the book, and you you tell me if you think it's fair, is is it's part reference guide because I can mm-hmm. come back to it as I'm developing, or I or I need to focus on one or more of these blocks. Is that fair? Absolutely. Um, all of my books, the way I write them is you don't have to read them from beginning to end. You're right. You see a situation, you know, you glance through it, you get a general idea of it, and then when you're having a problem in a different area, you go to that. And then you might say, do you know what? I'm really, I'm really struggling when it comes to, I don't know, compassion. Um, I've read the chapter, but then I share like three or four other books that really dig deep into it. If it's something that you feel like you need a little bit more help in that area. So I'm not trying to solve all the world's problems in this book. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's more about awareness, give people the basics. And then if they need that advanced course, point them in the right direction. Yeah, that's fair. 
And the other takeaway is the good news is that if you want to be a good boss or if you're not a great boss and you want to avoid becoming a bad boss, you you can fix this. You can change. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're not talking about things that are like so difficult, such enough, you know, it's not climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about appreciation. It can be as simple as every Friday as I said before, just going around and thanking people. You know, if you're that busy, do it once a week. So there's some small little things that you can do that can make a huge difference. You know, my sign, Debbie is in. That made a big difference. And actually, it was quite funny. So there right. you go. Yeah. And again, to go back to that, because it's so brilliant, is, is sometimes humor uh, gives people a, a permission to acknowledge the white elephant. Everybody knows it's there. But now it kind of uh, takes away some of the power of it, right? And and it's, so it's okay. Yes, I acknowledge that there are times when I'm not going to be the most approachable person, but I'm working on it. And it doesn't mean that that's who I am all the time, you know, as an example with that. Um, all right. There are two building blocks as I was reading through the book that I wanted to do a little deeper dive in here. Uh, one is vulnerability. So, so talk to me first, what do you mean by vulnerability in this context? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's um, all of the blocks are next to each other. So they sort of have partners. So vulnerability is partnered with authenticity. And the way I like to think about them is that they're things that you wear. So everything else is more about things that you do. But what makes vulnerability and authenticity different is you have to wear these, which takes a lot of courage to do that. And I think especially if you're starting out a business, you know, people are looking at you as the founder, you know, you've got all the answers, mm -hmm. you know, you know exactly what you're doing. And actually my biggest tip to you is, do you know what? Do not present yourself that way to people. The more you can show people that you're a human and that, you know what, you're not perfect, the more they'll come to you and be open with you and share with you. One of my best CEOs, he did that all the time and he role modeled it to me. He would admit when he made a mistake and I thought, you know what, I, I think that's great. I actually respect I respect him more for doing that. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a hard one to wear, but there's such power in vulnerability. Oh, I agree. And, and of course, we, we were just talking about that in your example, the vulnerability of admitting, hey, sometimes uh, Debbie comes out and, and and so I'm working on that. It can, and it can apply to, we've got a challenge right now. Sales are down for the last year and I don't completely know why. And being vulnerable about that, that takes a lot. But here's what I have found, Deborah, that, that people are looking for. They want that vulnerability so, so they can connect with us on a human level. But then they do need from us, but I'm going to lead us to figure it out. And with your help, we're going to figure this out. That's the leadership part. In other words, it can't be I'm vulnerable. These things are not working well. I have no idea how to solve it. And I don't know if I'm going to get us there. Uh, the, you got to be careful there with that vulnerability, but, but am I making myself clear? Does that make sense? I think it's a great point. Vulnerability doesn't mean washing your hands of something. Right. Um, I think you're right. You put on, you wear a different hat and it's interesting because I can remember like it was yesterday. Um, I worked for a boss and I, I told him I was going out and talking to business partners to get some ideas for a new program. And he said to me, isn't that why I hired you? Aren't you supposed to have all of the answers? And for years, that's what I heard. Anytime mm -hmm. I would go to somebody and want to ask for their opinion. And then finally, I thought, I'm just ignoring, you know, this person who's talking in my ear all the time. And all of a sudden, the magic happened. 
And I heard so many more amazing ideas. I always joke and say my best ideas come from other people. But mm -hmm. my role as a leader is to pull those ideas out of people, but also understand which are the ones strategically. Because right. that's where you probably know more as a leader than everyone else. Exactly. How does it fit into the strategy? How can I make it happen? And that's your role. And that's what you need to embrace. Yeah, well said, well said. Um, listening is the other one. <laughs> and you can imagine why I picked that one, because I find that to be such a, certainly one of those root ones that impacts so many other things. But tell me about listening in the context of a building block here. Yeah, and it's a nice one to go along with vulnerability, because again, if, if you're going to be vulnerable and you're going to ask people for ideas, you have to listen. And one of the quotes, I, I love putting quotes in books, is there's a book that says that, you know, there's a reason why you have two ears and one mouth. You know, sometimes you need to just shut up and listen and you need to give people the floor and you need to, you know, one of the best things I've seen in a culture and an organization is having an organization where you listen and you encourage people to speak up. Mm -hmm. That to me, I used the word magic before, that is where the magic um, happens. And the more you can do as you're beginning your organ your, your business, the better it is. I had speak up as a value at one of my companies and I loved it because it gave people permission to speak up. It gave those quiet people permission to say, do you know what? We have a value of speak up. I'm just going to talk. I'm going to share something. And then you as a leader need to, to listen and, and really actively listen. Uh, again, that's a mistake I made before I'd listen to people, but I don't know about you. My brain would be going at about oh, 20. Up. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I hear what they say, but I'm going to come up with three ideas while they're talking. Yeah. You, you, you cannot do that because you're going to yeah. miss all the magical things that they're going to say. Or, or I'm thinking immediately as to how I'm going to reject this idea one way or another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but having said that, I'm curious here as to how you've handled the reality, which is that not all of these ideas are great. And so how do I tactfully, without squashing that 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 culture that does speak up uh how have you dealt with okay this this is a bad idea but how do i say that how do i put that in its proper bucket any tips on how to do that yeah i mean in a perfect world the best way is to have them realize that it's not a good idea mm -hmm, sure. so so if you can ask some questions and and i'm very strategically focused so if the idea is and it depends why it's a bad idea but, you know, say I'm I'm in HR. So just say I'm coming up with, um, well, I know I was doing focus groups with our employees and I was asking them for new benefits and this benefit ideas. And this one guy kept saying, I want free haircuts. I want free haircuts. <laughs> That's what I want. So the more I would like throw out the strategy, okay, our benefit strategy is to have programs that will work for most people, you know, something that's really going to help them. And I'll bring them back to the strategy. And at the end, he was actually laughing and saying, oh my God, why did I ever present that idea? That is right. so misaligned. So the more I can help them realize it, the better it is. It, it makes them feel more confident and it makes them feel like I'm not shooting them down. Right. Um, and they'll say they learn a little bit by doing it that way. Mm -hmm. doesn't mm -hmm. always work, but yeah, no, that's I hear my what you're nirvana. Saying. Yeah, no, that's that's a great one. Uh, you know, I think the, the other thing is how how transparent are you with the overall strategy? Because sometimes yes. the reason it's not a good idea is it just doesn't fit our yes. current strategy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, and I think if you don't dismiss it, that, that works as well. So, you know, right. like with the haircut one, it's like, okay, this is why it doesn't fit with our strategy. That doesn't mean it's not a good idea. And right. actually 
one of the things I did is I put in a well-being allowance and I said, you know, I'm going to do a well-being allowance. So if you really want to get your hair cut, do you know what? Use your allowance for this. So it's a good idea for you. It's just not necessarily a good idea for everyone else. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, where where do I begin to learn to be a great boss? And and um, this kind of partly is obviously I know in your book, you've got the great boss project plan, but but just even beyond the tools that are in the book. I think when, it all begins with, yeah, yeah it, it all begins with awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's yeah. why as much as I, normally I'm a glass half full and I start with the positive. But in this particular book, I started with the bad boss types. And the only reason that we did that is that we wanted to raise awareness. We wanted people to understand what the different types of bad bosses were so that they could see it in themselves. And then we took it one step further. Luckily, my um, my writing partner is a developer. So I said one day, I think I said, wouldn't it be great if people could go on this free app, answer some questions, and it'll help them figure out which of the 10 types they're good at, great at, and bad at. So we created that as well to help people with awareness. This is that that free assessment tool that's on your yes. website. Yeah. 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 Yep. What, what I love about this is such an important thing for business owners in particular, because when I'm a bad boss in the corporate world, it's more likely that I'm going to get called out of it, out, out on it by my boss, right? Yeah. Or in the, over time and based on feedback. But when I'm the owner, there's nobody calling me out on it, right? Now, I'm going to see the impact why people don't stay on my team, but but I have to be even more so aware of it. And then that's, be, that's this first step to then doing something about it. Absolutely. And one of the things I'd like to develop, and I'm not there yet, is I'd like to develop a tool that your people then can answer that question, um, you know, a 360 feedback. But until yeah. that happens, you know, we talked about joking. I'd sit my people down. I'd show them all the fun little emojis and say, come on, guys, let's talk about this. Which are the ones that you think I'm really great at and I should continue? Which are the ones that, you know, in a perfect world, you think that that would make your life better, would make Boy, your but business that's, that's, uh, But that only works in an environment where you've kind of, <laughs> they know you to, I mean, because yeah. that people are like, oh, shoot, I got to say what, what I think yeah. she wants to hear. Yeah. No, you're right. If you have the trust, if you mm-hmm. don't have the trust, there's always ways to do it. You sure. Take, yeah. You could maybe pick off one of the, one of the bad bosses. I don't know, say micromanager and say, do you know what, today I want to talk about how we get work done. Let's talk about how, you know, do, what type of autonomy do you have? What do you feel could help you do it better? And maybe address it that way, which would make people feel more comfortable with it. Yeah. Great idea. Great idea. Um, so just briefly tell me what would the, the project plan I mean, I've read it, but explain what this great boss project plan is that you have in the book. Yeah, it's, it's all about moving through the journey of being a great boss. And, you know, I mentioned awareness. That's the first A. So it's about awareness. Then it's acceptance, you know, which isn't always easy to accept it. But then you move on to acceptance and then you move into action. So depending on, you know, whether you take the test or you just look through it yourself, which are the top few types of bad bosses that I really struggle with? And then which are the building blocks that I could work on? You know, you might find that there's two or three that you need to work on. And actually, there's only one of the building blocks that you need to focus on. So take the action. And then the last one is um, accountability. So what are you going to do to hold yourself accountable? And if you've got bosses in your organization, what are you going to do to hold them accountable? Because it where it's really going to fail is if there's no accountability. And I've seen that in organizations where you just let bad bosses to, you know, get out there and continue ruining lives. And there has to be accountability. 
Excellent. All right. We'll start to wrap it up here. Share with us, if you would, the the other services besides your books, the other services, and again, this free tool, but uh, summarize the other services that you offer your clients today. Well, basically anything that involves people. So I'm passionate about helping organizations understand strategically how they can design their people programs, their engagement programs, their culture programs, um, to really get the best for their business and also get the best for their people. So it's the strategy side. And what I also love is going in and doing workshops with people about, you know, what can you do to be a better boss, those types of things. And what's the website that I go to for the free assessment tool? So I've got two websites. I know that's confusing. I've got um, the badbossesruinlives.com is the assessment tool. And there's also other freebies. Um, what you'll see on all my websites is I'm all about freebies. So you can download the tool. You can download the first chapter of the book, whatever you want. That's about the book. And then if you want anything on any of my other books or any other freebies that I talk about when it comes to culture and recognition engagement, you can get, go to um, debcohrltd.com. Excellent. We'll, we'll have links to, to those different sites uh, on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. If you're not where you can write that down. Uh, Deborah, speaking of books, again, the book we've been talking about, Deborah's latest book is Bad Bosses Ruin Lives, The Building Blocks for Being a Great Boss. But I'm always looking for book recommendations. So I know you're always reading. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Well, at the end of my book, I recommend 21 different books. You can tell, <laughs> I, you tell I love books. Exactly. Um, Two of them are from someone that I interviewed for the book who I absolutely love. Her name is Kim Scott, um, and she's written two books. One is called Radical Candor, and it is like the best book I've ever read on feedback. feedback. Completely, completely changed my life. And if you don't want to read the book, you can just look at the YouTube video. And then another book that her more recent book is called Radical Respect. And um, I love her book. She comes from the business world. She's not an HR person like me, and I just think they're absolutely brilliant. Wonderful. Two great recommendations. I'll have a link for those as well on the show notes page at thehowabusiness.com. All right, let's summarize it here. Deborah, what's, what's one thing that you would have me take away as a business owner or someone who's planning to start a business on how to avoid being a bad boss, how to be a great boss? What's, what's one key takeaway? I think the big thing, and, and we talked about it at the beginning, is just the the concept of, do you know what? We all are a bad boss and just accept the fact that it's something that we're all going to work on and accept the fact that if you don't work on it, it's going to have consequences. So the more it's something that you think about, something that you address and you do something that uh, about it, the more it's going to impact your people's lives, but also it impacts your life. I don't know about you, mm -hmm. but when I've been a bad boss, I feel just as bad as the people that I've done it to. You know, like when Debbie came out, I was not happy either. So it's going to have impact on your life as well, not just the lives of your people. Oh, I agree completely. It was the point I was trying to make earlier about you're going to create an environment in a small business that you're going to hate going to. And and yeah. and it takes awareness to realize I'm the source of that. I've created this environment. So how do I change it? And at the end of the day, besides the impact it's going to have on retention, your ability to deliver for your customers and clients, your ability to scale, all of those things will be handicapped if you are a bad boss as an entrepreneur. And again, 
There's nobody to call you out, but you there's then. So you have to become aware of it. And then the good news is if you are down that path, you can fix it. If you're not, there are things you can do to avoid becoming a bad boss. Absolutely. And and people can see your culture in your product. Your customers can see your culture and how you interact with them. So it, although people think that culture is hidden, it is very visible. Agreed. And it, it's out there. Tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. So badbossesruinlives.com or debcohr.com, either place. Love to love to share the information with you and help you however I can. Deborah, another great conversation. Thanks again for sharing all of your knowledge and experience and, and for being on the show again. Thank you very much. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me in this episode of The How With Business. My guest again today is Deborah Corey. I release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including at the How of Business YouTube channel and at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.